So if you've got your Bible, open to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. We'll have the verses uh, on the screen available for you. But in the book of Ephesians, we've been studying through verse by verse, seeing what this, this amazing letter from the Apostle Paul has to say to us. How does it apply to us? And so in chapter 5, we, we've spent a couple of weeks, and we're going to finish up chapter 5 today with one of the most uh, controversial, uh, sometimes difficult passages in Scripture, one I think that's been most abused and misused in all of the Bible. And we want to shed some clarity to it today. We want to make sure that, that we understand where the Apostle Paul is coming from and what it means as he hits this issue. Now, if you're familiar with the passage, you know where we're going. We're going to talk about husbands and wives today. We're going to talk about marriage today, about what a godly marriage is supposed to look like. And there's a few dangers when we go into a message like this, and so we're just going to go ahead and hit those up front. One of the dangers is this. We live in a broken world. We live in a broken generation in a broken world. And there are people all across this auditorium right now, some of you who I know your stories, and probably some of you who I don't, but you have seen brokenness in this specific area. You have seen families ripped apart. You have seen divorce come. You've seen this come and, and separate husband and wife. And so as we go into this, if you are a product of a divorce, maybe you're a kid who grew up in a, in a family of divorce in a broken home, or maybe you're a, a, a divorcee in this room right now, this can be a very painful topic. This can be something that as we begin to talk about it, it can feel condemning. It can feel like maybe it's putting you down. It can be something the enemy is going to come in and try to bring a whole lot of shame, a whole lot of guilt about things that have happened in the past, perhaps some resentment, perhaps some bitterness. So let me say this up front. The same Apostle Paul who wrote this passage right here also said in the book of Romans that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So before we get into it, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. If you have been divorced, man, you've been divorced perhaps multiple times. We are not here to put you down. We are not here to shame you. We are simply here to point to what God's best is. If you're in today in a, in a loveless marriage, a lifeless marriage, today you're in a marriage that, that feels like it has no hope. I'm not here to put you down because maybe you haven't been the greatest husband or maybe you haven't been the greatest wife. I am simply here to point you to God's best. I think it's especially important for us to point to God's best because we live in a broken generation. Because we live in a generation where so many families are falling apart. Because we live in a generation where so many kids have suffered the heartbreak of divorce. I think it's so important for us to point to God's best. Not that all of us are going to get there, but man, we're going to strive for that. We're going to shoot for that. We're going to believe that, man, God put this in his word for a reason, and I'm going to do my best to assimilate it to my life. Now, I've counseled people, I've counseled women who, who were heartbroken in their marriage. They say, man, my husband, he just, he has no desire for a relationship with God. He's, he's not doing anything, and I just want to see him come alive. He won't come to church with me. He won't do anything. And man, we've prayed along with these women, and I've seen some of those men, man, respond and, and, and be restored, and those marriages come back, and I've seen some of them not. I've seen some of those marriages fail. I've seen some of those men leave and just finally tap out and say, I'm done. I've counseled with men who said, man, my, my, my wife wants to leave, and I'm doing everything I can to protect my marriage. I'm trying to get counseling. I'm trying to do this, but, but, but it just doesn't seem like it's getting anywhere. It just doesn't seem like there's any chance that she's going to stay, and we've prayed along with them. And we've seen some of those marriages restored miraculously, and God do incredible things, and we've seen some of those marriages fall apart. 
So I'm not here to say that somehow we've got it mastered. I'm not here to say that if you're a Christian, everything's going to be perfect or everything's going to be ideal. I am here to say this. God does have a best for his people. God does have a plan for his people. And as a Christ follower, when none of us can control other people's decisions, we can only control our own. And so we're going to take responsibility for what it speaks to us today. In other words, when it's written to husbands and you're the husband in the relationship, that's for you. What's written to wives and you're the wife in the relationship, that's for you. We're not going to look and, and, and throw elbows at the person sitting next to us because, hey, that's the one way that you're not living up to what the Bible says, right? Like, we're going to take responsibility for ourselves, for our relationship with God, for what the Bible has spoken to us, and we're going to trust that through God's strength, through his grace, through his power, through his spirit, that he's going to speak the same thing to the other party. None of us is 100% responsible for our marriage. Obviously, all of us, there's more than one person involved. But we can be responsible for our part. We can take responsibility for it. And that's what I believe God is calling us to. So with all of that preface out of the way, buckle up, let's go to the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. In fact, we're going to read through all 13 verses together. We're going to pray over it, and then we're going to come back and, and work our way through. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray. Father God, as we go into what can sometimes be a difficult, challenging passage of Scripture, Lord, we thank you that you've promised your Holy Spirit to be our leader, to be our guide, to guide us into all truth. And so we lean into that promise today. God, we invite your Holy Spirit to speak, God, through, through me, through this pulpit, God, but especially to our hearts. Lord, as, as we open this passage and look at what marriage is supposed to be and how you've designed marriage to work, Lord, we ask that, that you would help us to be better husbands, to be better wives, to be better future husbands, to be better future wives. Uh, Lord, that we would apply this well to our lives. Um, Lord, we know that you love family. You love marriage. You believe in marriage. And so right now, God, we just lift up the marriages in this room. God, I know some are doing great, some are not doing so great. Lord, some I have no idea. God, but I pray that you would bless our marriages, Lord, that you would bless our husbands, you would bless our wives. Lord, that our marriages would be more like your design because we gathered together today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I should say this as well. There's also a, a group of people in this room who are not yet married. Uh, and the easy thing to do is to say, 
This ain't for me. I can lean back today. I can take it easy. I can Facebook. I can hop on Snapchat, whatever. Um, Let me challenge you with this. If you're not married, this is the best time for you to learn about marriage. Uh, Man, the the, the greatest season of life. I believe that God moves in seasons and pre-marriage or post-marriage, in-between marriage, wherever you might happen to be, is preparation for marriage. Uh, Now, obviously, I do believe there are some people who are not called to marry. God has specifically called them to be single for their lives. Um, And if you know, hey, that is me, I am never going to get married, I'm confident in that, I have heard God speak on this, then then you can hear this to encourage your friends with. Uh, But most of us probably aren't quite in that confident place. There's probably a sliver of, maybe, just maybe, this could happen one day. And if that's you, I encourage you to, to receive from God's word for yourself today on what you need to look like to be the spouse that, that a great person, a godly person would want, um, as well as what you need to be looking for in a spouse. So all that being said, let's go through this. Paul is going to give us what, what I call guidelines for godly marriages. Uh, he's going to give us a lot. We're going to focus in on four. In fact, if you're taking notes, I'm going to ask you to, to put down four guidelines for godly marriages as we work through this passage. The first one is this, and it's really important. In fact, I think it might be the second most important one on this list, and it's this. It's, number one, mutual submission. Mutual submission. Chapter 5, verse 21 says this. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, Now, for some reason, for many years, a lot of our English translations, which would put subject headings in scripture, which by the way, those subject headings, those are not divinely inspired. Those are somebody who came behind and said, hey, let's make it easy for you to find something. Um, I'm glad that they're there. They're beneficial, but that doesn't mean they're flawless. So, So the people who put these subject headings in for a really long time left verse 21 with the previous section. Uh, and started husbands and wives at verse 22 when husbands and wives are first addressed. I think that was a mistake. Uh, the, the most recent version of the NIV, which I don't love, but this is one thing I do love, they actually moved it into the section on husbands and wives. And I think this is correct. I think this is the best move um, because I think this is the context Paul is trying to create. Before he talks about husbands and wives, he wants to get this out of the way. And it's immediately, it's one verse before. This isn't a disconnected thought. He says this. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, You see, this leads to all kinds of problems when we separate this and we just get to wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, Let's talk about this word submit. Thank you, Teresa. Uh, Let's talk about this word submit for a second. In the Greek, the word is hupotasso, hupotasso. Um, It was a Greek military term, and I'm actually quoting directly from Strong's Concordance here. A Greek military term which meant to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. But in non-military terms, which is what this would be, in non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. Paul says for all believers, this isn't just for husbands and wives, although I think this is the context he wants to go into husbands and wives. But if you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, if Jesus has saved you, he has called you to a status of submission. Now, we don't really like this word in America. Man, America, we're the most independent. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps culture, right? And, And we've got some really cool things that that has led to, but there's some really damaging things that it's led to. And one of them is this. We have this idea that we don't need each other. 
I can do it on my own. And that is 100% not biblical. We are called to one another. We need each other. We are not called to do life alone. We cannot do life alone, at least not do it well. If we're going to live the life God's called us to, it's going to be in relationship. And so what does that relationship look like? Paul says that relationship looks like me submitting to Chris, and it looks like Chris submitting to Luke, and it looks like Luke submitting to Jeffy, and it looks like Jeffy submitting to Dan, and all across we're mutually submitting to one another. Sorry about that, Luke. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to the other end of that too, don't worry. Uh, it's coming. So, so, so we're called to mutual submission as believers. The same author, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, puts it this way. He says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, and I love this, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What is mutual submission? Mutual submission is me saying your opinion is more important than mine. Your needs are more important than mine. And it being mutual means you're saying the same thing back to me. We're considering each other greater than ourselves. If you remember way, way back to the beginning of 2018, those of you who were part of City Church back then, which a lot of you weren't, which is awesome. Uh, but, but for those of us who were here, we, we talked about this idea that I am second. Mutual submission is the embrace of second place. I'm not most important. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to give you the place of greater significance, of greater importance. And this is the foundation that Paul builds his marriage teaching on. If we divorce our marriage teaching from the foundation of mutual uh, submission, we get to a place where things are misused and abused very, very quickly. So we have to understand Marriage is, is a specific relationship in the Christian life. All relationships in the Christian life are called to mutual submission. But being that this is probably the most significant relationship in the Christian life, this is probably the one where it's most important for us to walk out mutual submission. This is Christianity. So that's our first guideline for godly marriage is mutual submission. Our second guideline comes in the same verse. It's this. It's reverence for Christ. Paul says this, he says, submit to one another, why? Out of reverence for Christ. In other words, because you love Jesus, because you choose to honor him, because you revere him, you give him his rightful place, because he's on the throne in your life, you're not just a fan, but you're a follower, because of that, you say, okay, I'm going to submit to one another. I'm doing it as an act of worship, in other words. When I humble myself and I make myself less important than you, less significant than you, what I'm doing is I'm bringing Jesus glory. I'm giving him his rightful place. So I do it out of reverence for Christ. In other words, these guidelines for godly marriage are not guidelines for healthy marriage. They're not guidelines for good marriage. In other words, we can't divorce this from Scripture and go teach this to every married family that we know that doesn't know Jesus. Because if you don't have the proper motivation, it's not going to work. This is the engine that drives a godly marriage. I'm not saying no marriage can be good without Jesus. I'm not saying there's no people who are happily married without Jesus. What I am saying is this, you're never going to see God's best if your heart's not in the right place. Your marriage is never going to fulfill God's greatest place in your life if your heart's not in the right place. And the right place for your heart is reverence for Christ. 
The rest of this stuff doesn't work if we don't have that. That's why I said mutual submission is the second most important principle in here, because this is the most important. If I don't have Jesus on the throne, if I'm not pursuing him, if I'm not chasing him, I don't care how many marriage books I read, I don't care how much teaching I get, I don't care how good the counseling I is, get, or premarital counseling, or whatever, I'm not going to be the husband God's called me to be. It only happens... Because I have the proper motivation. See, because if I submit to you out of any reason other than reverence for Christ, eventually I'm going to resent you. Right? If I submit to you for any motivation other than the right motivation, eventually I'm going to get sick of submitting to you. Eventually I'm going to say, no, what about me? What about my needs? What about what I want? If my motivation is anywhere improper, it's never going to work. But see, motivation doesn't always stick either. That's why I have to daily take up my cross, daily put Jesus back on the throne, and daily revere him. Every husband and wife in the room said, amen, Amen, right? It's a daily opportunity. We can miss it sometimes, and trust me, as your pastor, I miss it sometimes, right? There are days where I don't have that motivation correct but this is what we're aspiring to this is why we're shooting for God's best we're shooting for godly marriage where Jesus is revered where he is on the throne where the family revolves around him the the marriage revolves around him if Jesus isn't there it's not going to work now you say okay well I'm married and I love Jesus but my spouse does not so none of this teaching is going to apply to me I wouldn't say that necessarily what I would say is this it's not going to be a functionally healthy, happy marriage if, not, if both of you aren't pursuing Jesus. But again, you can only control you. You can only control yourself. You can't force that spouse into falling in love with Jesus. You can't force that spouse into following Jesus. Um, I can't promise you that, man, you do all these things, and, man, six months from now, your spouse is going to love Jesus because you loved him well enough and you prayed him in. I wish I could promise you that. All I can promise you is this. This is the best way that God has for you. That other person's still going to have choice. That other person's still going to have a decision to make. They're still going to be able to choose for themselves if they're going to follow Jesus or not. But if you will do things God's way, you're going to give them the best possible situation in order to give themselves over to Jesus as well. Guidelines for godly marriage. Number one, mutual submission. Number two, reverence for Christ. Number three, this is the one everybody hates. The wife is called to submit to the husband. We believe that the Bible is true. We believe that the Bible is for today. We believe that the Bible still applies. And this is what the Bible teaches. So if you get mad today, get mad at God's word. Not at me. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You can be mad at me. It's all good. All right, let's talk about what this means. So let's, let's read through the verses first. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, As Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So, Paul begins this great simile, this great comparison. In fact, in my notes, originally I had it as a great metaphor. And then I remember the difference between a metaphor and a simile, and I was wrong. It's a simile because he says, as. Uh, So, anyway, (laughs) literary nerds, you can follow me there. The rest of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But it's all good. So he says, just as Christ loves the church, right? He begins to make this comparison between husband and wife and Christ 
and the church. In fact, all the way down in verse 32, as the passage gets ready to end, he tells us, this is really what I'm talking about. Yeah, we're talking about marriage, but I'm really talking about Christ and the church. I'm really talking about the gospel. This is really why this matters. In other words, I believe that a godly, healthy marriage is a reflection to the world of the gospel. I believe that a godly, healthy marriage is designed to point people to Jesus. Why does this matter? Because there's a fallen, broken, messed up world that Paul lived in 2,000 years ago, and we live in, it's a little differently broken and differently messed up than his world was, but still different, still broken, still messed up. But he's called us to healthy, godly marriages as an example of the gospel, as a declaration to the world of who Jesus is and who the church is. Paul creates this simile, and he's going to follow it through through the rest of this passage. And in other words, the husband and wife relationship is, is a reflection of Christ in the church. In fact, I wrote this down. In the same way that the person is made in the image of God, the marriage is made in the image of Christ and the church. In other words, in the same way that you were created to be a reflection of God's glory to the world, if you choose to get married, if you decide to take that step, your marriage is designed to reflect God's glory to the world. Now, we all know a whole lot of people who don't reflect God's glory to the world, right? That doesn't change the fact they were created in God's image. It just means they're not walking out God's best for their life. Now, we all in this room know a whole lot of marriages that don't reflect God's glory in the world, right? Maybe we're the product of one. Maybe we're in the midst of one. Maybe we've seen that. But we know that it happens. But that does not change the fact that the design of marriage is to reflect God's glory to the world. Why is this so important? It's very important because for decades, in fact centuries, these passages, these verses from God's heart have been used to justify and empower physical abuse. They've been used to justify and empower massive mistreatment of women. They've been used to justify and empower a whole lot of stuff that God never said and a whole lot of stuff that God never meant. And we've got to get the context of what is being said here in order to understand what submission is all about. So often these verses have been used to, to, to pound the fist and have, you know, the what I say goes, I'm the man of the house mentality, right? And, and if we forget that it's talking about Christ in the church, we can end up there very easily. But when we remember what the husband and wife relationship is a picture of, we're not going to end up at that place. You see, Jesus is the head of the church. We all can agree with that, right? He's the head of the church without question. He has authority over the church without question. But Jesus is not a God who chooses to sit on his throne and bark orders. Jesus is the God who left the throne, who came for his church, who laid down his life for his church. He died for his church and he set an example for his church. And then he says, not only am I setting an example for the church, but husbands, bro, setting an example for you. Not just sitting around and barking orders. I'm not just sitting around and demanding that I be served and I be worshipped. In fact, I'm going to come and I'm going to say this. I did not come to serve, but to be, or excuse me, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's the picture Paul's creating here of marriage. That's the picture he's creating of the husband who is to be submitted to. It's the person who loves with a Christ-like love. Now, 
every woman in this place, you know 17 ways your husband doesn't love you the way Christ loves the church. And so it could be really easy to say, okay, he doesn't matter, he ain't Jesus, so this verse doesn't apply to me. That's not what I'm saying. Right? I'm not, I'm not saying just because your husband ain't Jesus. None of your our husbands are Jesus. Nobody's got that going on, right? We all fall short. What I am saying is this. If all we do is we take this verse and say, wives, submit to your husbands. And we forget the picture that is being painted here of what that person, that husband role is supposed to look like. This can get really twisted very quickly. And it's been perverted. It's been misused. Let me, let me say this. If you're in an abusive relationship, if you're a woman in an abusive relationship, unfortunately, the evangelical church in America has been really bad at this. We've been really good at powering abusers and really bad at protecting the abuse. So let me say this. If you're in an abusive relationship, get out. If, you, if your husband is hitting you, uh, if that is part of, of that picture, I'm not saying to get a divorce, but I am saying to separate immediately. Get into a safe place. You see, just because God has set up the man as authority in the home doesn't mean he's the final authority. In fact, all of us are called to submit to the governing authorities. And thankfully, we live in a country where it's illegal to abuse your wife, and that man needs to face accountability for his decisions. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Doesn't mean that he can't be redeemed. It doesn't mean that just because somebody's ever been an abuser means they're always going to be an abuser. I don't believe that because I believe in a God who redeems and restores. But it does mean they need some very serious help. And it does mean you don't need to sit there and be his punching bag. God's not calling you to that. He's not asking you to do that to bring glory to Jesus. That's not Christ in the church. Thankfully, we do not serve a Jesus who abuses us. We do not serve a Jesus who misuses his authority. We do not serve a Jesus who, who takes advantage of his position and uses it to bring destruction in our life. That's not the Jesus we serve. Amen? And so this is the picture Paul's painting. So if you're in that situation, man, let me know. Let one of our elders know. We will help you. We will do whatever it takes to get you out, to get you protected. There is no excuse for a man to be abusing his wife. There's no excuse for, for the kids to be abused either. And we'll do everything we can to protect those people because I believe that's exactly what Jesus would do. Mutual submission, reverence for Christ. The wife is called to submit to the husband. So what does it look like to submit to the husband in a godly relationship? Um, I don't have that completely figured out or completely mastered. Here's the best concept that I can give you, is that ultimately somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody's got to make the final decisions. Uh, And and God has chosen in his wisdom to make that the husband. Uh, Now, guys, don't get too cocky about that because we're going to talk about what that means for you later on, and it's actually not good news. Uh, But... (laughs) But, but we'll get there. Um, what it means is eventually somebody's going to, the buck has to stop somewhere. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, I'm, I'm a big believer in the rule of first. God creates Adam. He tells Adam, here's the rules. Eat of any tree you want except this one tree. Don't eat from it. And he trusts Adam to relay that information to his bride, to his wife. He does. Eve knows the information. Eve goes out and she gets tempted and she eats from it anyway. She gives some to Adam. Adam's right there when it happens. And when God comes, he shows up, and he doesn't say, Eve, what happened, girl? Eve, man, we, we talked about this. He doesn't look for Eve at all. You know, he holds accountable? Adam. Why? Because he put Adam in charge. Adam had the authority. He was the final say. He was the one who was supposed to put his foot down. Now, I don't believe that Adam was supposed to, like, physically restrain Eve. Like, he's supposed to tell her, don't do this. And if she does it anyway, 
That's her decision. She's going to answer to God for her decision. But Adam's going to answer to God for his. And Adam was right there with her. We know that because it said that then she turned and offered some to Adam. And he's like, okay. So he's watching. He's kind of seeing what happens. Well, she's the brave one. She stepped out. She ate it first. She's not dead. I'll try it too. So, so he shirks responsibility. He lets his wife take the, take the risk. And then he's like, okay, it's safe. I'll, I'll see what that actually tastes like. So God holds Adam accountable. So I believe as a, as a godly woman, as a godly wife, ultimately the buck is going to stop with your husband. And ultimately, if he puts his foot down in an area, he says, look, we're not doing this. We're not making this decision. We're not going here. Man, I, I believe that you should drop it and trust that that person who God's put in that position is going to make the best decision. Now, if you know it's the wrong decision, and man, it's, it's not biblical, it's against God's word, that's a different situation. If your husband puts his foot down and says, we're not going to church, that, that's not Christ in the church, right? If he puts his foot down and says, you need to stop reading your Bible, that's not Christ in the church. Like we, clearly, if, if he's trying to compel you into sin, that's not something to submit to. Uh, if he's abusing you, again, that's not something to submit to. I'm, I'm talking about the everyday decisions of, man, how much money goes to the grocery budget and how much money goes to the gas budget. Like, like that kind of, like everyday stuff, somebody's got to make the final say. doesn't mean that you don't have a voice. Christ in the church, we got a great voice. Man, Jesus says, come to me, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Man, we're called to come to him again and again and again. So we've got a voice with Jesus. Eventually, sometimes Jesus says no. Eventually, sometimes Jesus says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Um, and that's where we have to trust. So that's the picture. Um, doesn't mean you can't express your opinion. Doesn't mean that your husband shouldn't listen to you. That's not it at all. What it does mean is that eventually the buck has to stop somewhere. And God's chosen for the buck to stop with the husband. So that brings us to number four. Our last guideline for a healthy, godly marriage is the husband is called to love the wife just as Christ loves the church. Let's read through this together. Verse 25. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, I hate this passage. <laughs> right? Like, this bar is high, isn't it? Like, God believes in us incredibly. He sees something in me that I don't see to say I'm supposed to love the same way Jesus loves. It's a high bar that he set for us. He has high expectations on us as husbands. And he's called us to sacrificial love. We talked about sacrifice a little bit the last couple weeks. But he's called us to love like Jesus loves. To love with the sacrificial love. Jesus laid down his life for the church. And the husband is called to lay down his life for his wife. Now, most of us aren't very good at this. I am not very good at this. I have a long way to go to get this mastered. This is not normal. It does not come naturally. It's not something that just kicks in when you say, I do. This is a choice we have to make again and again and again, day after day after day, sometimes hour after hour, to, to reprioritize, to recognize that life is not about me. It's about another. We live in a world that says, get yours. That says, look out for number one. And this message is completely, 100% contrary to that. It's the call. 25 again says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? Why did Jesus give himself up for the church? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ's goal for his church is holiness. 
yes, God wants us to be happy. He wants us to have the fruit of the spirit of joy. But if we have to choose happiness or holiness, he's always going to choose holiness for us over our happiness. If, if you have to violate holiness in order to be happy, then it ain't God. It's just not. His greatest desire for his church is to be holy, is to be set apart. This is call for us. So that's what he's done. It says he's washed the church with water to cleanse her, to prepare her as a bride without spot or wrinkle. In the same way, I believe that the husband's goal for the wife should be holiness. In other words, not that my goal for Melody is that Melody would be holy, but my goal for Melody would be that our marriage would be holy, that we would be holy, that we would be set apart, that, that I have to pursue that for myself, and in the pursuit of that, God's going to give me the opportunity to lead someone else to that place. Uh, Jesus cleanses us, says, not with punishment, not with anger, not by screaming at us and yelling at us, but he cleanses us with his word. That's how we're cleansed. Now it's in other words, it's the husband's job to take the spiritual lead in the home. And I know sometimes this looks different. Um, I grew up in a household. Mom and dad, if you're listening to the podcast, what's up? i talk about you. Um, so I, I live in a household where, or grew up in a household where my mom actually led my dad to Christ. My dad was very far from Jesus. My mom started riding his bus, started witnessing to him. Long story short, he came to Christ because of my mom's example. Two years later, they got married. A year later, I came along, and the rest was history, right? Um, so because of that, mom was always the spiritual leader in dad's life. He's the reason why she, he ever got, she's the reason why he ever got saved in the first place. And, and it worked out great at first, but eventually they just kind of settled into those roles. Mom was a spiritual head. She made the decisions. Mom got upset at a church and decided she didn't like somebody. We left the church because that's what mom wanted because she was the spiritual head. Um, and, and it created a lot of instability for us growing up. We, we church hopped like crazy. We went to six, eight, ten different churches for long lengths of time um, because I believe the spiritual head was not where it needed to be. And that's not to knock my dad. That's not to knock my mom. That's just to say this is the reality of the situation. They're good people. They're godly people. They love Jesus. This thing was not right in their marriage, and because it wasn't God's best, it, it created some implications for us as their kids. Why do we pursue God's best? Because it's God's best. Because God knows best. Because when we have God's best, we're going to be in the best situation for ourselves, for our, our spouse, for our kids. That's why we want God's best. Um, so if you're in a situation, woman, where you're the spiritual le- leader of the home, two questions for you to ask yourself. Number one is this. Is he capable of being the spiritual leader of the home? In other words, am, am I... Taking the lead because that's what's comfortable and normal and easy for me. And if that's the case, then you probably need to step back and, and give him the opportunity to lead. If he's not willing to lead at all, I know some of them, my husband doesn't even go to church. My husband doesn't open his Bible. Like, yes, continue to be the spiritual leader because there needs to be a spiritual leader in the home. If, if you decide I'm not going to be the spiritual leader, that means there will be no spiritual leader. If that's the case, then you better continue to lead, mom. Unfortunately, you weren't necessarily called to that. But in your situation, you're going to have to step up and be that. So, so there's different situations. There, there's the, where, man, the, the guy is capable and able, and, and the wife is taking the lead. And in that case, I think we need to reset some priorities. And that may take some time. But then there's a situation where the husband's not leading at all. Maybe he's capable, but he's just not interested in this season. Then, then unfortunately, somebody's going to have to do it, or your kids aren't going to have a spiritual leader. And so that responsibility is going to fall on you, hopefully not for forever. Hopefully, man, we're going to pray that man into the right place, and he's going to get serious about his walk with God, and he's going to be able to take the, the, the place that God's called him to, 
But if he's neglecting his calling, then I'm not telling you as, as a godly wife to step off of spiritual leadership in that case. Your kids need a spiritual leader. Your home needs a spiritual leader. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, but God's called us as men to be the spiritual leader in the home. Um, that means that we've got to take the lead. We've got to take the initiative. We've got to start the conversations. And, and I can say, as a pastor, let me say this, it's a whole lot easier to stand up on this stage and speak to a whole congregation sometimes than it is to start that conversation at home. I don't know why, but it's like, I, I guess it's because at home, like, everybody knows you, and they see all your stuff and all your junk, and it's like, uh, you guys don't, right? Like, you think I know what I'm talking about. Uh, but, <laughs> and, and so I understand this can be like the scariest role to take is to be the spiritual leader when you're like, I don't have it all together. None of us have it all together. But God's called us to take that role anyway. God's called us to, to step up. And, and for many of us, myself included, that means we're going to have to man up. We're going to have to take that step. We're going to have to have to be intentional. Uh, sometimes it's just easy to get distracted. Um, and you've got a, a job, you're working your career, and maybe you're working 60 hours a week, and you come home, and you're just exhausted, and it's easy to just, like, not think about anything, and next thing you know, you're in bed, and it's time to get up and go to work the next day, and you just kind of go through that cycle of life. Man, as a spiritual leader, a spiritual leader is going to be intentional about creating that time, of finding those time to have those conversations, to open the word, those types of things. Um, moving forward, verse 28, says, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Who who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ loves the church. For we are members of his body. Uh, I heard this illustrated one time, and I thought it was so great. It said, it didn't say this for the wife. It said this for the husband for a reason. Because if a woman, a woman could be a 10, like drop dead, knockout, gorgeous. She's going to look in the mirror, and she's going to find the one hair that's out of place, Right? Like, she, she's going to find the one, the one flaw in the body, the one thing that's not just exactly the way that she wants it. Dudes, you can be the, the worst slob, like the nastiest dude, like with stains all over your shirt and the biggest bald spot. And you look in the mirror, you're like, yeah, what's up? Right? <laughs> like, there's, like, we flex, y'all, look at that. Like, there, there, there's an unnatural confidence that a guy has about his own body. Sometimes it probably doesn't need to be there. Uh, but he says... Husbands, love your wife the same way that you love your body, right? Like, you feel good about yourself. You feel good about your body. You think you got it going on, man. Love your wife that way with that same confidence, with that same charisma, with that same sense you, you care for, you feed your body. You make sure if your body's hungry, you, you take care of your body, right? In the same way you take care of those things, man, take care of your bride. Take care of your spouse. Verse 31 closes it up. The next three verses with this, it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Four guidelines for godly marriages. Number one, mutual submission. We submit to each other. Number two, we do it out of reverence for Christ. That's the motivation. That's the reason. That's the glue that holds it all together. Number three, the wife is called to submit to the husband. Number four, the husband's called to love the wife as Christ loves the church. Notice that Paul speaks to the husband here a lot more than he speaks to the wife. Um, these usually are applied towards the husband being in charge and the wife, you need to sit down and shut up and listen. And, and I don't think that's at all what these verses were meant 
to detail. I think Paul is trying to communicate the importance of the godly roles, of the roles God's assigned us to, but especially the incredible priority that's placed on the, on the shoulders, the responsibility that's placed on the shoulders of the husband. And so I want to wrap up with this. I want to share four things real, real, real quickly. Um, we've done a series for, for years uh, in our city groups called Authentic Manhood. Quite, quite a few of you guys have been a part of it down through the years. Um, our Authentic Manhood series looks at what is God's design for man? What, what are we called to? What are we created to? And it gives us four attributes of the authentic man, four things that, that an authentic man should incorporate in their life, the four callings of that man. And so I'm going to apply these directly to husbands today. Uh, it's not just for husbands, but in this context, I want to apply them to husbands. I want to share them with you very, very quickly. If, if you're a man here, if you're a husband, this is, what, this is the goal. This is the picture of what we should be. If you're a future husband, this is the picture of who you should be before you get married. If, if you're looking for a husband, this is who you need to look for. Uh, this is the kind of guy that, that you want to have as your partner. Very quickly, the call of an authentic man, the call of a husband, number one is to reject bas- passivity. Going back to Adam in the garden, Adam's first mistake was he was passive. He saw Eve stepping out of God's best, and he kept his mouth shut. The authentic man rejects passivity. There's something in all of us dudes that just wants to sit around and play video games, right? Like, there's, there's something in all of us that just wants to take it easy, that just wants to, to camp out in the lazy boy, whatever. Um, and, and some of you are better than others at rejecting that. I know some guys that can't sit still. Uh, but, but most of us, there's this passiveness in us. And even if it's, man, maybe we're physically active, but maybe there's a, a passivity in our communication. We see our kids going down the wrong path, and, well, they're going to have to make their own choices. We see our wife going down the wrong path. Well, she's going to do that for herself. And that's not manhood. Manhood is rejecting passivity. Secondly, it's accepting responsibility. In fact, that's kind of two sides of the same coin. We reject, sec- we reject passivity. Number two, we accept responsibility. I'm going to answer to God for not just my decisions, but for what goes on in my house. I'm going to answer to God from my wife. I'm going to answer to God for my kids. Now, they're going to answer to God for themselves. But I'm the only one who's going to answer for all of us. So I reject passivity and I accept the responsibility. God, I didn't design it this way. This wasn't my idea. It was yours. But this is a responsibility you've given me, so I'm going to receive it. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to embrace it. I've been given this responsibility. Help me to, to handle it well. Number three, we're called to lead courageously. To lead courageously. To, to have the hard conversations. To, to take the steps that maybe don't seem so simple. God's called men to take courageous leadership. And number four, to invest eternally to invest eternally, to find ways that we're thinking beyond today. We're thinking beyond this moment, to find ways that we're, we're investing in tomorrow, into the future, into the next life. As a man, we're called to do these things. Now, this doesn't mean that women aren't called to do these things too. It doesn't mean that, that women are called to be passive. I'm not saying that. It just means that there's something in a guy that tends to passivity. Like I, I don't know very women, very many women who have a hard time getting stuff done. Women, y'all are awesome. Yeah, there's something in you that just, man, it's time to go, it's time to do stuff. I don't know what it is, but man, women, you, you guys get stuff done a whole lot better than we do in a lot of cases. Uh, so I don't think that women are called to reject passivity because I don't think you have passivity in you. I know my wife does not. Uh, like, she, she's getting, she's after it. She's ambitious. She's got goals. She's getting stuff done. Um, as men, there's something in us that we default back to Adam. And we default back to passivity very simply. And so we're called to reject it. 
And so these are the callings of an authentic man, callings of a, of a godly husband, to reject passivity, to embrace responsibility, to lead courageously, to invest eternally. It doesn't mean that our marriages are going to be flawless. It doesn't mean our marriages are going to be perfect. None of them will. None of us are going to have the marriage that is exactly the picture of Christ in the church. But when people look at our marriage, there should be some reflection. There's, there should be some picture. You know, sometimes you look in the mirror, like after you take a shower, you look in the mirror and you can't fully see. Like it, it's a little hazy, it's a little fuzzy. That's probably what our marriage is going to be, right? Like I'm not going to look in, 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 at marriage, at my marriage, and see exactly Christ in the church because I'm falling and Melody's falling and we're all falling. I don't think God's asking us to get it 100% right, but there should be some picture in there. We should be able to, to identify the bodies, right? We should be able to see this is what it looks like. There's, there's Christ. There's the church. This is the picture we're painting. This is the picture we're called to create. None of us can do it on our own. That's why God sends his Holy Spirit to live in us. If you're not a Christian here today and you're looking at your marriage and you're like, yeah, it doesn't measure up to this, you can't. You don't even have a responsibility to have that marriage. You're completely incapable. Only when we have God's Holy Spirit living in us is it even possible to, attain, to, to pursue this to chase after it. But with his, the power of his Holy Spirit, man, he set a high bar for us, didn't he? This is what marriage is supposed to be. This is what I want your marriage to be because I want the world to look at your marriage and see Jesus. I want the world to look at the way you treat your wife. I want the world to look at the way you treat your husband. And they see there's something different about you. This isn't like every other marriage on the block. This isn't like everybody else who's out there, man. It looks differently. This is the call God's placed on his people. Would you pray with me as we wrap up today? Father God, I thank you for the honor of opening your word and communicating it, God. I know there's so much in here, Father God, that, that I haven't mastered. I ask you to help me to be a better husband, to be a better leader in my house. But God, I ask for all of us that our marriages would be better because we gathered today, that we'd be more like Jesus because of our time together today. God, help us to, to pursue that. God, help us to be a reflection to a lost, hurting, and broken world of Christ in the church. God, if there's anything that I didn't say exactly the way that your intention was, Lord, I pray that you would just help that to be discarded and only your truth to be taken home. Lord, that we would have everything that you want for us, that you would strengthen us through your word today. God, I, I lift up husbands and wives. Lord, I lift up divorcees who maybe would hear this message and, and feel guilt or shame for their past. God, we just rebuke that in Jesus' name. God, if there's lessons they can learn from their past, help them to learn those lessons for a better future. But we know that condemnation is not from Jesus. So we rebuke that in Jesus' name. God, if there's struggling marriages here today, Lord, I pray that, that husband and wife would embrace your call for them to pursue you, to revere you. God, to submit to one another out of reverence for you, Lord. I think if we would just do that part, so much of the rest of this would come together. God, help them to take that step, to get those priorities right, God, to reset. Lord, if there's mistakes in the past that need to be owned and, and, and repentance that needs to be expressed, Lord, give them the courage to, to express that. Help them, God. Lord, strengthen our marriages. Lord, for the, the strong marriages we have, Lord, we thank you for them. We ask that you would protect them from falling into the, the traps, the pit that the enemy wants to set to destroy those marriages. God, protect them. Give them wisdom as, as they navigate the roles and the seasons of life. Help them to be just as you are to your church. We thank you for all this, God, in Jesus' name.